On a special bonus episode, we have a conversation with musician and composer Taylor Goodson. You must unlearn what you have learned. Remember, a Jedi can feel the Force flowing through him. And between it all, balance. Welcome to Voice of the Wills. This is where the fun begins. You are right back in the mess. Keep your concentration here and now where it belongs. All this, as the Force wills it. Just when you think you understand the Force, you find out how little you actually know. I may fail, you may fail, but there is no try. We would be honored if you would join all right, well, welcome to a special episode today of Voice of the Wills. It's a bonus episode. Um, we have some ideas to do a few of these uh, from time to time, but uh, we wanted to kick it off our first bonus episode with somebody already known to uh, those of you who listen, because you hear him actually every episode. It is the composer of our uh, music. Um, and that is Taylor Goodson. Taylor, welcome. How you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm great. How are you? You know, good as we can right now. Um, with me uh, this week is also uh, Elena Source, who's going to help us out with uh, talking to Taylor. Elena, how are you doing? Good. I'm excited. So, of course, with Taylor here, um, the topic should be um, pretty obvious. Um, Taylor is our a resident musician, um, and and uh, Taylor, tell us a little bit about uh, sort of y- y- you know music in your life before we get to the Star Wars, right? You tell us a little bit about what you do, and and uh, we can go from there. Certainly. So I am a freelance composer and percussionist in the New York metropolitan area. I perform with a huge variety of ensembles, but I'm the principal timpanist of the Montclair Orchestra. I play with all the major ensembles in New York City, um, in all the halls there. Um, I'm also a composer, as you know. I write for all sorts of things, including podcasts and television and video games, as well as smaller personal commissions for smaller projects, maybe commercials or things of that nature, and as well as my own my own uh, personal interests, like my, my symphony and some other, other classical works. Nice. And... Uh... You are also obviously a big Star Wars fan. Um, Taylor's one of the first people I, I don't say meet because it actually took us a while to meet. But while I was working on my first project, I think you were making some build videos and Taylor is known for uh, being quite the builder. Um, you know, how many costumes do you have right now? <laughs> a lot. Uh, I think I have right? 20 or 18, somewhere up, somewhere up there. Yeah, he's, he's o- the master armorer. <laughs> well, thank you. That's <laughs> I take that uh, as a point of pride. Yeah, he, there are two main places where people go to build in New Jersey, and one of them is uh, your house. Yes, that's correct. We have tailor-made armors at my house. That uh, I forget exactly who named it that, but that's what it is, and that's where we are. We're up. To, we're actually twenty minutes outside of New York City for anyone listening. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's about two hours for me to get there, so I have not made it myself up there. But one of these days, I definitely want to make it up there because you guys are always got some fun projects going. 
um, and uh, would just love to see the the vibe. It always seems pretty cool there too. Um, you've built there, Elena, yes. All the time, but I think I spend ninety percent of the time not actually building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, for being a little social, but it's it's a good time. Yeah, and feel um, free to I'm follow us productive. on Facebook. It's 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 nothing against uh, the individuals there. I'm just very not productive. <laughs> <laughs> that tends to be. I mean, most of the armor parties I go to, I'm either helping other people out or just being social. Um, oh, yeah. Absolutely, but that's the best part. Yeah. You know, you have one or two things. You're like, I need to make sure I know this. But when I really need some help, I usually get one or two people. Because if you have a whole group, it's hard. Um, but um, So let's talk about now Star Wars music. I um, There's so many things in Star Wars that are, are amazing. But uh, the music is so important to the story. I think one of the reasons why I personally like watching the movies over and over again is because it feels like you're putting on an album as much as anything else. And just like any album that you would listen to over and over again, um, listening to the, the music from the movies is just a, an awesome experience. But tell, talk a little bit about how, you know, your relationship with the Star Wars music itself. Oh, well, that, that brings me way back. My <laughs> when I first got a CD player, the first album I ever played on it was the it was a blue holographic two disc set. It was the the full and complete score to Episode One. It just came out yes. in 1999. And I got my CD player I think sometime in 2000. So I I think I I think I destroyed those discs with how much I listened to those. <laughs> so I I, I mean was, it, yeah that's amazing. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. I still have the discs somewhere. I don't know if they're going to work, but yeah, I listened to those I countless hours and every track. I just I couldn't get enough, and it was it was fascinating to me at how he could ev- evoke such emotion. Even though I was a young age, I didn't really know anything about music at the time. It was just it was amazing to me how I could sit there and listen, and I could see the film while you were listening to the music itself, right? Right. I didn't need any visual. I mean, of course, I watched the movie in the theater probably 20 times. So that helped, but <laughs> the, uh, it's just, it was amazing to me how you could hear the music that was underneath the droid invasion, and you could just be in feed at the moment. It was, so is episode it was really, one kind of how you got into Star Wars itself, or... Um, no, I actually was then. introduced to the special editions that came out in 97, I think it was, for the okay. 20th anniversary. Nice. Yeah, and that, the music in episode one, of course, for me, had, was very different in that they had sort of a single that went along with it, with uh, Duel of the Fates, um, which was extremely effective to me for getting me excited for the movie, um, because it was just... Uh, it was probably the most, one of the most iconic tracks, too. Yeah, so yeah, as an aside, it's one of the most difficult things I've ever played in a concert. Oh, is it? It was, it's unbelievably challenging. <laughs> so what about it makes it challenging for those of us who are not musicians? Well, I'm a timpanist, so I, I sit okay. behind these massive drums, and they're very impactful. And uh, John Williams likes to write a lot of notes. There right. are four drums, but he writes a lot more than four notes at a time. So I have to you know constantly tune them and change them, and it, a piece of that tempo and that speed, it is, <laughs> it is quite a tour de force. 
And correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't his brother uh, a percussionist as well? That's correct. On a lot of the recordings, they might be, it might even be all of them. I'm not sure. Don Williams, his brother, is the timpanist, actually. Right. Yeah. That's so. iconic. I didn't know that. Yeah. I yeah. Something new. <laughs> <laughs> but I imagine that that's you know, if he needs to say, "Hey, does this sound good?" He's got an easy ear to. Um, oh yeah. Add to it. Um, so as, as, a as a full album, um, would you say that episode one was the first one that you really got into or did you get into one before then? I didn't have any way to play media before that until I got okay. my CD player. I really didn't have no way to, cause there was no streaming at the time. There was no, I had no internet at home or anything. So yeah, that was probably the first album I have really dug into. Um, actually I really shouldn't say that. I really should backtrack because <laughs> So I actually taught myself how to play the piano when I was very young. There was always one in the house, and I liked toying around with it, but never took any formal lessons. So the way I actually learned how to play it was by recreating things I'd listened to, either something on the radio or, or a song that was an album in the house or something of that nature. But the, the most evocative memory I have is playing the credits of Empire Strikes Back on repeat, because there was an A and B repeat function on the VCR. So okay. I would play the, the credits over and over and over again until I could figure out what the Imperial March was. That's wow. so awesome. So you, had, <laughs> you, had, you naturally had an ear for music then. I did. You didn't, I, from you didn't learn from age, any yeah. notes or anything like that. You can just listen to something and, and uh, figure out the keys and play it. Yeah, at the time. Um, obviously, I've gone to school since then. and I have a master's degree in music performance and all that. But <laughs> yeah, it started out just trying to recreate what was coming in, so to speak. Yeah, and that, I mean, that one piece of music is got so many iconic uh, themes in it um, that, you know, uh, I, actually, when we were getting ready for The Force Awakens, that was uh, certainly a track that I would often put on just to get me pumped up for the new movies coming out, um, you know. Oh, what, the Imperial March? Well, the, the whole um, end credits Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. yeah. Um, because, you know, there's just so many, you know, it's pretty much for the, well, I shouldn't say that, but for the first uh, two movies, um, you have all those amazing pieces in there. And uh, yeah, that's certainly a good one to start. To, well, I don't I don't know how easy it is would to be able to learn those pieces by ear. You'd have to tell me, Taylor. I don't. You know. Well, and I can't even tell you how accurate they were. <laughs> they were probably as close as my little <laughs> third grade mind could uh, handle. I'm just imagining like like a little Taylor right now, just like sitting at like a piano, just like do 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 do, banging out like the, the freaking end credits. Amazing, so iconic. I love it. <laughs> you could ask my mom for the footage. There, I was did a tal- <gasps> I did a talent show that what? year at some point. Oh my god, so I need this I'm sure it's out now. There. <laughs> <laughs> and posted in the show notes is <laughs> <laughs> oh my god this is so good <laughs> yeah so what do you think about the music as a musician makes it so special oh that's a loaded question but i know it is i knew that would be a t- it's always a tough one especially for a musician Man, because there's so much that. of it <laughs> no, I mean, the, best, the best way to start and yeah. when talking about the music of Star Wars is that it is in and of itself a character of the film. You can't have the movie in any capacity without it. Of course, the music itself represents 
characters. But there are a lot of scenes where it is just some sound effects and music. And that is really what is so evocative. Like, consider the Battle of Hoth, for instance. There's nobody really talking. General Veers has some notes, and there's some other things that happen here and there. But the 25-minute the track, The Battle of Hoth, is really the meat of it. So I think it's very important to consider the music as its own character. And then once you do that, and you realize the role of importance that it has in these films, then you can really start to dive in and understand what makes it tick. That's, yeah. that's, that's, it's funny you say it like that, too, because um, when I listen to the music, because I listen to the, all the soundtracks um, whenever I'm working, on like art, whatever, and the music is so, I guess you could just say iconic. And it, it, the fact that I, it moves me uh, in different ways and, and uh, evokes different emotions because it's, it's just so powerful. Like it, you hear Princess Leia's theme and you, you get emotional because you think about Carrie. I mean, at least I do. <laughs> I yeah. get so emotional because I start thinking about Carrie and it's just like Princess Leia in this, in her track, it's like it's, as a whole is so powerful and then different um scenes that have a uh, very iconic music like duel of the fates it's like gets you like super hyped up and you feel your adrenaline like pumping when you hear it like it's it's so intense so it, when you say that it's almost its own character that's that's so accurate yeah well he has the the themes that go with the characters um which i gotta be honest with you but a um, lot of movies have that where they like you know characters will have a theme but it's it's kind of like stale sometimes i'm not always i, I can't say that for every movie but uh when i think more of, about that too if you like i mean i'd love to con- I, I, when i say like the star the, the the themes in star wars i just feel like are so powerful i mean john williams is just a god <laughs> to me oh, like all his master music in is amazing in every but yeah no definitely if you want to elaborate on that that'd be great well the concept is um, an old music concept called leitmotif, where a small section of music, whether it's a full-fledged theme or a smaller thing known as a motif, represents something that's in the material story. Um, this is a practice that was instituted by Wagner. I don't know if, you're, if anyone's familiar with the, the, uh, the operatic composer Wagner, but in the mid-1800s, he was writing these large-scale works, and he instituted the concept of leitmotif, where a character would have this theme, like the Ride of the Valkyries, for instance, would represent a certain thing on stage. And it would let the audience track what's happening in these huge-scale works. And it was a very, very powerful and useful tool that the composers of cinema came right out of that tradition and began implementing that and telling their stories when you know the 20s and 30s were coming along. And that, the old film composers really latched on to that tradition, and John Williams was of the later um, of those later film composers. He was starting to write in the fifties and sixties, of course. So he was trained by those who were in the meat of that that tradition. So he really did a great job at keeping that um, that method of writing alive for films to come. Because um, interestingly enough, around when Star Wars was released in seventy seven, film music wasn't really doing that. There was a lot of pop, there was a lot of electronics, there was a lot of experimental behavior, a lot of a lot of sounds, but not a lot of classical. Immediately thought of Terminator. Music. 
Terminator theme. Uh, well, that's a little <laughs> bit later. But <laughs> well, I mean, still the eighties were. Know. <laughs> it's just funny for me knowing knowing you and all of our conversations to um sort of you know that that for me one was kind of like when I, right when i was born and one was much later and it's just funny to think of those things uh similarly but um but for the most part a lot of the movies in the 70s you're right were not uh dealing with that kind of music um and it and I, I believe it was uh, it, well from the stories that I've heard it was Steven Spielberg for, after working on Jaws with John Williams that said to uh, George Lucas um, it would you know here's your guy yep, to uh, do this music yeah and, and then boy, you also think right? <laughs> you also think uh, at the time what what other what an other big franchise or not franchise but like what other big movie. Uh, came out Indiana Jones and that was all wasn't that also John Williams or no that's yes so yeah there you go John Williams Jaws E.T. Indiana Jones Star Wars it was all the same couple years it's the Superman yeah everything amazing the amazing amazing amount of output and it's all so recognizable I mean not even talking Star Wars but everything he's written Superman theme the Raiders of the Lost Ark music everything it's just amazing so all these accolades that he's getting now it's like totally totally uh deserved oh absolutely oh yeah yeah if any you'd be hard pressed to find the average person to be able to name another music uh, movie music composer aside from john williams yeah, i mean there are, the so, there are some great I ones don't get me wrong are, but they came they came later like howard shore uh I can't think of anyone else, but like they all came later, and it's probably. <laughs> it's funny you say Howard Shore. We were just watching. Uh, we've been watching '80s movies, and there were a lot of movies that I didn't realize he did. Like he did Big. Oh really? See, I don't know that much about him, and when I say Howard Shore, I mean he did Lord of the Rings. I think yes, right? right. Yeah, yes. that's what I think of. Yes, yes. But uh, but it, well, it's funny. He just came up this past week because uh, we were yeah that we watched. It was Big was one that he did, and I'm did Hugo, to which was excellent score. Oh yeah, that was later though too. He, uh, I'm just saying, think of like because it was mu- it was funny because to listen to it, um, it was such uh, different music um, than a Lord of the Rings by a ton um, because it was more stylized towards the 80s, um, mm-hmm. where Lord of the Rings was definitely to be more classical. Um, based i guess and that's, and that's one of the most impressive things i can find in a composer is their what i consider their malleability because you, your job as a composer especially in film music is to reflect someone else's work and enhance it not necessarily to write your own you know something for yourself you're really tailoring what you're doing to enhance someone else's story so it's really impressive to me when a composer can change their own um their own words really to serve someone else entirely and yeah it's really impressive when a composer can do that and so many of these great composers can indeed just completely write something different no matter what the subject material is they'll find something appropriate yeah well let, let's let's uh let's dive in a little bit to a new hope with you just uh and sort of go through some of the the chronology of it cuz for me um there are sort of different different ranges in the scores or time periods i don't even know what the right word would be but um for me a new hope 
is a slightly, if not greatly different soundtrack than a lot of the rest. And I think for me, uh, I, or my guess is that it's because it was, it's so tied a to the ideas that George Lucas had, but also, um, the temp tracks, um, that, that, uh, you know, that when he was brought in, the temp tracks were what they were using for everything. And, uh, this is me just guessing now, you probably would have a different perspective on it. Um, but I feel like that soundtrack, um, aside from the fidelity of it being a little bit lower than the rest, um, is, uh, has, has a little, is a little bit different. Like we were talking about the light motifs, but, um, they, they aren't quite as direct as they are in later films. Like there, some of the music is just good music. And so they played it during certain times when it didn't directly correlate. Um, I think about Princess Leia's theme playing when like Obi-Wan dies, like, you know, it, I mean, Princess Leia was in the, uh, the scene, but it was, it was a, not a direct choice, I guess. Um, but right. yeah, I don't know. Talk a little bit about, about the, the music in that movie and, uh, um, whatever, whatever you notice as, as, uh, somebody who's in it. Well, not in the movie, right. not in the movie, but in the. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I, I'll go off on a small tangent on that first. Um, I actually had the pleasure of playing with the Orchestra of St. Luke's in September, and we did A New Hope in concert. Oh, nice! So I got I got to play the soundtrack on stage as the movie's playing behind us, and it was let me tell you one of the best experiences oh. of my life so far. It was that's amazing. It was truly amazing. So cool. Um, I was just I remember sitting there and and I hear Darth Vader's breathing. He's walking up the hallway, and I'm like oh man, there's that cool tam-tam note. And I realize, I look down, I'm holding the, the mallet for the tam-tam. I'm like, I have to play that. <laughs> this is the coolest thing. <laughs> so yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was quite an experience. But Yeah, I wonder, uh, I wonder about that for the musicians. Sorry, sorry there, but it's just something popped in my head. I wonder about that for the musicians, because we've talked about it on the podcast. Um, we've gone to when the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra plays um, the movies to watch them play. Uh, and... Um, you know, for me, and it's partially just the way that my brain works, I think it would be such a technical achievement for me to actually play the music um, that I don't know that I could, you know, do what you're doing, which is kind of like having almost an out-of-body experience where you're actually able to play and recognize the situation that you're in. Well, I, I, I have a pretty particular circumstance being a percussionist where I don't use, I don't use my mouth, really. Right. You know, I have the, I have the... I can use, I can look around and listen and I have a little more freedom than most instrumentalists do where, you know, either their violin is tucked right against their head or they're physically blowing into something or I, I can literally look around and move. And also percussion music tends to be a little lighter. So we don't play all the time. We're here for the impacts for the big moments, but right. So I do have the time to, to reflect a little more than other instrument instrumentalists. That's not to say we don't have a lot to do because let me tell you some of the fight scene music in, in star <laughs> Wars is some of the most challenging stuff I've ever done. But uh, as I mentioned, Duel of the Fates at the beginning of the show, it's just right. there's so much to handle in these. But going back to the score of A New Hope, um, it definitely does feel like they're trying to get it off the ground, so to speak. Um, and actually, in, in fact, there's a great track in the, the special edition complete soundtrack that was released. Um, it's called Binary Sunset Alternate. If you actually yep. listen through that track, um, they have the session itself of them uh, recording the opening 
blast of the movie. Oh, right. And it's really interesting to hear them literally experimenting on the fly. Originally, it wasn't just the opening, the opening chord. Just It didn't start with just that big, powerful note. It had this lead-up originally. And right. on a, that track... It sounds subtle, but it's... It is, it's, but it's, it changes this whole thing. Because it comes out of a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It fades out. And then you get this blast. But originally, there was no blast. It was this crescendo into the blast. And it's just, it's amazing to me that these guys were in the studio considering this and changing it right there and saying, you know, which one's going to work? And either one could have worked. We, we would then today know it as whichever one it was. But it was, it's really interesting to hear the takes, one after another, of them attempting these new things. And you can really find these little tiny subtle differences where, you know, this, this particular player is slightly out of tune here, and this one's out of time here, and then the intro's different, and it's really, really fun to listen to them experiment in the studio. So if, if you have that, if you have access to that, um, that Yeah, version. I think it's, it's available on Spotify, because I think I started listening to it one day, and I was very confused why this one track was playing the opening uh, crawl over and over again. I'm like, right. what the heck is this? And skipped it. <laughs> it's like 15 or 20 minutes long of just, I think, six or seven takes. But that's why I was so confused. But now that I know that, I, I'll I'll give it a listen and and actually pay attention because I didn't even realize that there was a difference yeah. each and time. Fact, if you crank up but the again, volume But again, I'm like, it's high. background noise for me, so. <laughs> sure. If you crank up the volume really high when you're listening, you can actually hear them calling out takes. Which is it's really, really oh yeah, God. it's it's truly a back a backstage experience. It's so I suggest listening to that. But the point of that whole that whole aside is that they were really experimenting with this. I mean, they, every every film's process um, in terms of music is experimental because you don't really know what the director's going to want. You don't know exactly how it's all going to fit together, especially at these times when you are literally conducting to the movie itself. You didn't have computer aid and things like that. So, Although William still does it that way, doesn't he? That's correct. Yes, he he still does it all the same way he has always done it. He never updated to uh, digital media. Now his his assistants do, of course. I mean, it has to get to the stands of the musicians and that we're used to digital produced media now. But he still composes in his old style, which is really what makes him super unique in today's musical experience. So, so tell me, talk to a little bit about being a composer from your perspective in trying, you know, so you're talking about him experimenting a little bit, but you've got a whole orchestra, so you've got to have each part, you know, uh, mapped out to to at least a, a good extent, and then to, to make these little changes. I'm just amazed at how these things could happen in one person's head. Yeah, <laughs> um, to me, <laughs> it's it is it is a ride. That is for sure. Um, of course, you you come up with the score. You you there's a whole process for composition. For me personally, I always start at the piano and I create create my ideas there. And then there's a process called orchestration, where you decide which instruments to use for which ideas. And that's the, a big the big meat of of the project for me personally, at least, is you know deciding who's going to play when and where and how. Um, but then once you have the complete score and it's ready to go and everybody's reading it, you just take out your pencil and you make the changes. You say, Hey, clarinet two, can you try taking that down an octave or changing the pitch there? And, you know, just, just try it. Cause now I'm hearing it for the first time, just like they are right. with, by a live group. I might have a media recording or a demo mock-up that I've done, but it's not real players. So I, I don't really know exactly how it's going to sound. 
until I'm there. So that's the, the most exciting thing is when someone reads it for the first time and you really get to hear the problems or you hear what did work. Not, not to say that we don't know what it's going to sound like. I mean, it's our job to know what's going to work and what's not. So hopefully there aren't too many edits to do, but it is, it's pretty easy to just pick and choose what you want to change, especially when you're the one that wrote it. You, you know every single part. You know what everybody has done, what everyone needs to do. And if something's not happening the way you want it, well, you are the only one in that room who has the power to change it. So you said you, you've done stuff for like video games and, and TV shows and such. Um, and so what's it like to sort of accept, I don't know, maybe a, a critique or, you know, because I, I, I mean, I'm sure George Lucas felt totally comfortable going to John Williams and saying, hey, I don't like this, do this better. But I think more to like somebody like J.J. Abrams going and, and having to say to John Williams, I don't really like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, John Williams now has, you know, has that has the credits behind him but at the time they were in the mid 70s he wasn't he had experience he had credit but he certainly didn't have all the nominations he didn't have all that all those accolades just yet so i'm sure that it was a little easier to work as a team and not be super intimidated by his experiences just yet but and that does bring up a good point is that george did make a lot of decisions and right. the, the producers, the whole the whole team made a lot of decisions. And there's a lot of tracks. If you listen through um, The Empire Strikes Back, for instance, there's a lot of cut music. And if you listen to the the same, that same special, special extended, complete version, there's a lot of music in there that's not in the film. There's a whole underscore to Yoda's training that doesn't exist. There's a whole underscore to um, Ben Kenobi's ghost scene that doesn't exist. It's just things that are cut out, and you don't really need it because the sound team's doing amazing work with making these planets alive with the unique and experimental sounds. So they got to make room for that, and I think a lot of those choices are actually the right choice. Um, not to say John's music is bad for these scenes in any regard, but you know sometimes you can have a problem of over oversaturation, which is a, a big criticism of the prequels for a lot of people. This is just so much music; it's just busy all the time. You don't have that reflective scene where you can just kind of enjoy a dialogue or enjoy a, a swamp sound or something like that. Yeah, and it, well, it's also to giving time to let the, 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 either the music shine. Like, if you don't play the music at a certain port, then when it comes in, it sometimes is more impactful. Absolutely. Actually, I was, I was just watching um, Rise of Skywalker today, and I noticed, uh, you, you'll, if you guys notice different than I do, um, at the very beginning of the movie, when Kylo Ren is on Mustafar, um, the sound effects are way down and the score is up. And um, I can't think of another part in Star Wars where they did it like that. But I remember the first time I saw the movie in particular, it was somewhat distracting because it was unusual. Um, but I think, you know, if I'm in JJ's head, in my, at least my version of JJ's head, you know, he's given a little bit, in, rather than making the, what you were saying, which is to know when not to play it, he was given time for the music to kind of rise up. Sure. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you noticed that or if you have, you know. I couldn't say it stood out to me. Um, okay. of, course, I, of course, I watched Star Wars for the music pretty much, so <laughs> I wouldn't have thought of that as a criticism in my eyes, but... Um, no, I mean that, and the mixing process is so involved, and there's so many decisions to be made. But I don't really know who to, who 
made that choice or where it came from. Right. But the, th- the interesting thing about the mixing and editing process is that the composer doesn't really have a lot of say in a lot of that stuff. You know, they have a say even, in the even, the mis- even in the orchestral mixing, like obviously the sound editing and the sound mixing, but no, they have a lot of say over the mixing of the music itself, of course. Okay, that's okay. But in terms of how it fits in the movie, right? You know, it's it's after those decisions are made after the sessions are over. I mean, they might they might consult with the composer, no no doubt, but in reality, there's just not a lot of time for discussion at that stage in the process. And there are a handful of times where they reused music. Um, more so, I think, in the prequels than anything else, but that they, you know, who knows what was actually um, scored, but they decided to use yeah. well, that's uh, other whole, music. That's a whole other discussion, because episode two and I think it was Harry Potter were right up against each other. So there was yes. only so much time he could he could devote to each one. And, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, I, I don't remember where I heard the story from, um, I know George wanted a lot of edits and a lot of changes, and John just basically just and I didn't have time for this, so they used a lot of the episode one material for the okay. So those end sequences in episode two. I actually kind of like that they would, um, or you're saying that they just like completely reused whole tracks, or because um, I hear like the the new I don't know what the correct term would be, but like you could hear like pieces of like. Um, the uh like when they're in the arena uh on geonosis in uh yeah. episode two that's that same march that you hear when uh anakin goes to the jedi temple in revenge of the sith right or am i, I, I have to pull it, it up i'm not sure but i do know uh the end a lot of that sequence from the geonosis arena through all of those fight sequences a lot of that music is rehashed from episode one I don't oh, yeah, know and, and they play Across the Stars at the beginning of that, too, which is... Oh, I mean, yeah. And well, that's I mean, I guess that's their theme, though, so it makes sense. Yeah, and it's hard to say what's intentional and what's not. And it's really not something we, we as fans, will ever know. Yeah. I don't know. I think the prequel music... For me, I think, out of each era, I think the prequel music has to be my favorite. So knowing that now, it's it's kind of crazy, because I think... I don't know. I think that's his best trilogy in my opinion, but... Um. It is certainly some of the boldest he's produced, that's for sure. But as I said before, a lot of the criticism is that there's just so much of it. It's very dense. Makes sense. Yeah. Although, again, that's, you know, that also is decisions, like you said, of, of, of George Lucas. Um, you know, I, I feel like, especially episode three, he was doubling down on the fact that it was a space opera with the music. Um, but I really don't have any complaints. I mean, I honestly don't, <laughs> the whole thing could be music and I'd probably be like, sure, go ahead. Absolutely. Keep, <laughs> um, well, you gotta, you gotta look at it from the holistic view of a, of a film because this is, you know, as, as much as we love the music of star Wars, it is, it is a piece of the greater whole. So a lot of the criticism of the music being a lot is, is valid in the, in, in those prequels, particularly. Um, so we were talking a little bit about A New Hope, um, and then uh, John Williams, of course, had to come up with a sequel. Um, talk about how Empire Strikes Back then differed from A New Hope from a musical perspective. Oh, well, Empire Strikes Back is Star Wars. Right. I mean, that is everybody's got their teeth cut. Everybody knew what they're in for. 
they knew how much this movie started to mean to people and what was going on. And yeah, Empire Strikes Back is what's what really kicked it kicked it off musically, especially. Uh, interestingly enough, I don't know you you guys probably know this, but I don't yeah. know if everybody knows um, Darth Vader's theme. You know the one we all know. That wasn't in A New Hope at all. No, and you know what? It's it's weird enough. As many times I saw that, until it was pointed out to me, it's now a long time ago, but until it was pointed out to me, um, and it's obvious now that having known it, um, until it was pointed out to me, I, I didn't even think about it. Yeah. I, I only I only realized that when Taylor told me. <laughs> I never noticed it either. Yeah, no, so if, if you go back and listen to A New Hope, Darth Vader does have a theme, it's just a lot different. Which is a very cool theme. Yeah, it's great. It's very, but but very different. (laughs) But yes, very different. So the fact that Empire Strikes Back creates this new theme for Darth Vader and the Empire, but then not only does it create this new theme, it uses it all the time in new and creative and interesting ways. Um, I believe there's it's something like between forty and fifty appearances. Wow! um, If you actually sit down and track how many times that appears in the film. It's some something astronomical like that. Yeah, um, and it appears in like very early in the film before you even see the Empire, but it's subtle, I think. Or yeah, well, actually, in a in a fun note of trivia, the first theme you hear in Empire Strikes Back that's not Luke Skywalker's theme, not the fanfare, you know, after the opening, the first right. thing you hear is way high up in the stratosphere and the piccolo and strings and and that is Darth Vader's theme. When the Darth, when his star destroyer is launching the probe droids out, right? That's it's yeah. tucked away in the music, real high, and it's it's very light. But it is the first thing you hear in Empire Strikes Back is the Empire's theme. It's very appropriate. Um, yeah, and then there are so so many other great themes that are introduced um, in that movie um, that are are you'd recognize them and you know just automatically associate them with star wars that were not in um the original um film um, of course you Yoda's do get, theme right got that actually empire strikes back is interesting and i don't know what i don't know what the choice was and i couldn't play it for you because it's a little too complicated for my hands but the droids have their own motif i yeah which is funny because it, it 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 doesn't appear in any of the other movies, if I'm correct. That's correct. It does not ever come back. Which is but you but uh, but I always associated that theme with them. Now, so for me, I'm just going to give you a side. For me, I you know from when I grew up, um, as much as watching the movies, I also had like a little 45 record player, Winnie the Pooh record player that I would play my 45 of the story, and I would you know turn the pages and and look through it, and um, and there was a lot of music played on that in very different spots. Um, but for, so I think maybe it was from, you know, one of the, you know, my Empire Strikes, Strikes Back book and having read that so often that I always just, you know, thought of them having that little theme. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's very interesting to me because it, it works for them. It's a little quirky and a little fun. So maybe it's not as weighted as the other themes in Star Wars, but. It, it it does such a nice little representation of the of the dynamic between R2 and 3PO. I think it was a very nice little touch, but it's sad to see it never come back, but it was cool. Yeah. It's cool to hear. 
There are a number of them. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of the themes, especially in the sequel era, a lot of the themes um, are a lot more literal um, yes. than they were in the in the first ones. Like I said, with Princess Leia's theme playing when Ben when Ben dies, and and that that you don't you wouldn't get that in the sequel trilogy. I don't think. Although, well, Episode oh, Nine had a few. There's a there's a different aspect to that. It's not a little less specific because. In older style movies, there are you would you wouldn't call necessarily it a character's theme. You could call it the love theme, or you know a theme that's tied to a certain emotional feel that goes through the movie. And then as soon as you hit those emotional beats, you play the emotive music. It's a very old silent movie technique where you wouldn't necessarily write original music for a movie. You would play music that represents whatever's happening. So you'd have like a fight scene, and you'd play right. fight track number six or a love theme, and you'd say, you know, emotion music seven, and you'd you'd go and do that sort of thing. So I guess using Princess Leia's theme for Ben Kenobi's death is kind of going back to that sort of era, right. where you would just use something familiar in the movie in a way that displays the emotion. Because right. we all know Ben Kenobi's theme, which is the Force theme. That one. It's kind of right. hard to have that uplifting emotional power in that particular scene with that theme. So John probably yeah. thought, you know, let me do something a little more dramatic here, something a little more flashy. So Princess Leia's theme is what won that argument. So I think it's just, it's looking at it more of a, an older picture. And George definitely wanted to enhance the thought of this being an older style film. Yeah. So I think using those kind of old techniques is what makes it Interesting. But yes, when you look at it as a holistic nine-film package, it does then seem like A New Hope misses the mark in some cases. I don't, I don't agree. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think of it that way. I just think of it as an evolution of the way that they use the music. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't mean just to say that A New Hope's music was bad in any regard. No. It's just it was very trying to establish what Star Wars is. And once the success of A New Hope happened then we really could dive in and solidify how this works yeah and i think and i think the changing of darth vader's theme um for was was probably made because they needed the since it was the empire strikes back they needed something a little bit more foreboding and uh you know that 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 could um carry out throughout the film where the original darth vader's film was was not it wasn't the same uh, in that respect, and 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 like you said, they play it so much in that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, let's let's move to uh, Return of the Jedi, um, and then and then uh, well, we'll take a jump after that. But um, so anything you noticed that kind of came became different by the time we got to Return of the Jedi. Well, Return of the Jedi is hands down my favorite of the Star Wars films. And everyone, everyone will come out and attack <laughs> me for this, and it's, you know, I deal with it all the time. I won't! But it is 100% the best music we've ever gotten in a Star Wars film. I, I so, so state your evidence. That's a, that's a, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here to agree or disagree, I just want to know what, what would, you know, what would possess a musician to say that? It's just, it's so emotional. Um, the Battle of Endor, the way that you have these three different missions happening and the music is just swirling around to each one um the emperor's theme is here and it's one of the most foreboding sinister things we get in star wars 
Um, you have all of the themes that have predated it from A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back coming to this heated, this heated conclusion, and it's just such an epic score. It has so much meat to it. Um, well, there's so much going on, especially at the end, and he's jumping back and forth between the Ewoks and, and then you know, and then Palpatine, and then yeah, it's it's. Yeah. But you and, really get to experience the true genius of John Williams in in Return of the Jedi. Um, Yoda's death is such uh-huh. a beautifully scored scene in which the Force theme and Yoda's theme just swirl around one another and connect in these these really interesting ways. And then you have Darth Vader's Darth Vader's death scene later with these harp harmonics that are just eerie and so I, I get chills just thinking about it right now. <laughs> it's just so evocative of the pain and suffering and the release of Vader's um of the finality of his journey and, and Luke's disappointment and not getting to know him and all. It's just it's so it's so truly emotional. Um and that's, of course, surrounded by these blasts of excitement as the Millennium Falcon is swirling through the Death Star. And, oh, it's just so much. <laughs> I could go on and on about Return of have the you played the, Have you played that one? I have not. I've only played okay. A New Hope in concert so far. Okay. Gotcha. Because I was, I was going to say there's plenty of progression in that piece yes. of music. <laughs> yes, especially, especially the Endor stuff. Oh, man. They use yeah. this instrument called Almglocken, which are actually tuned cowbells that you play like in any other mallet instrument and it's they are a wild a wild huh. thing to play. Yeah, and that's that actually I learned a lot at, at watching various documentaries and listening to a few things about it. There one of the things that amazes me about John Williams is his ability to take, you know, your non-traditional uh, orchestral instruments and throw it in with something that's obviously made to be very orchestral, but um, um, he's, he didn't shy away from uh, any instrument um, if he thought it would make the score better. Absolutely. Yeah, he was, he, he's well studied. He knew a lot of what he was doing. He had a lot of credit, of course. He was working right. in Hollywood, actually. He was, he was a pianist. Um, he was actually a jazz pianist. He graduated Juilliard as jazz piano. And he went out to study. He went out to work in in Hollywood. He, he was playing pianos in sessions. I, I believe it was Bernard Herrmann where he was working with. At one point, someone was telling me a story. I can't exactly remember all his credit at the moment, but he just did a lot of Hollywood work as a player. So he got to experience listening and really learning what these movie masters were doing, and then using that information to then make his own his own foray into the music world. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so now that you've given away um, what your favorite one was, I didn't even have to ask the question. <laughs> um, so then, you know, obviously we get a, a big break, um, and then we get the uh, the prequels. Um, I don't know if you need if you want to. We can talk about each film individually, but just you know, just talk about um, how Star Wars mu- music changed a little bit when we got to the prequel era. I think a lot of people were disappointed. Not not me particularly, but I think a lot of people were disappointed because of how thick and powerful the prequel movies were. That the sequel movies are a little thinner. They reflect hmm. back to the originals. I I, I yeah. find everyone likes to parallel uh The Force Awakens and 
and A New Hope. And the music also parallels. It's a return to simpler, simpler themes that are used a lot, and these textures that are a little more in the back. There's more use of silence. There's a little more, there's a little more filmmaking going on, so to speak. Whereas the prequel movies were just a lot in your face all the time. Whereas JJ now reflected back and used more silence, used more dialogue, used a little more of the traditionalist film techniques. So I think a lot of people were expecting the power and might of the prequel trilogies because that was the most recent thing they experienced but then when you move when you really move backward because we're retelling a story that we knew from the 70s i think that's where people kind of said huh i don't think this is his best work but i i quite disagree i think it is better work because it has that lens of going way back to the beginning of this all yeah i'm with, I'm with you i mean the force awakens soundtrack holds up with any of them easily for me um you know, uh, the themes that were introduced. I mean, the thing with it is it's mostly, it's not entirely, but mostly new music. Yeah. Um, it's not, you know, that you get the force theme quite a bit, sure. which makes sense in that movie. Um, but you, uh, but it's, uh, you know, Kylo Ren's theme is new and it's, it's, there's a lot to it. Ray's theme. There's quite a, you know, it's it's a longer theme than I feel like than most themes. Um, you know, you could you could correct me on that one, but uh, but you know, there's all these little bits um, that uh, I I I it's easily one of my favorite to put on. Yeah, um, it's yeah. the interesting thing to me about the sequels is that I feel it was the most clear path especially musically, where we're starting here, we have seven, eight, and nine to tell. So we need music that can navigate three films and tell a full, complete story. And I think, I think having the knowledge that there are going to be three films, they're going to happen at this, these are the release dates, this is how it's going to work, I think having that kind of plan really makes the sequel trilogy's music super strong. Whereas, of course, the original trilogy, we everybody thought New Hope was it. That's it. No, there was no plan to have further, as far as I know. So you have that kind of disjointed feel between those three films. Less so between Empire and Return of the Jedi, of course, but it doesn't feel as seamless. Whereas the sequel trilogy, if you play those those soundtracks back-to-back, one after the other, you're like, oh, wow, this is clearly a package. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Now, I also know this from having other conversations with you, um, in addition to being a big fan of John Williams, um, you have um, big praise for the Rogue One soundtrack and um, Michael Giacchino um, writing that that music. Um, talk about the job that he did, uh, you know, taking music that, well, taking musical ideas, I guess, that weren't entirely his own, but then creating an entirely new soundtrack, but having to make it feel like Star Wars? Michael Giacchino is probably one of my favorite film composers today. I mean, going back to our earlier conversation where we're talking about how to how to change your style and reflect a movie, I mean, he wrote so many of the Pixar great movies, and every one of those movies is so starkingly different. I mean, he did The Incredibles and Ratatouille. Like one and all the television music that he did also is, is lost, and all those other great things. 
But uh, I was very impressed with his work on Rogue One. I, I didn't yeah. even realize when I first was listening to the music, it wasn't John Williams. Absolutely. And uh, the real genius of Rogue One, for Michael Giacchino's standpoint, is that he uses so much material from A New Hope in his score to Rogue One that you might not even realize. Like, there's a time where there's a little theme for the message, the holographic message. When when R2 is talking about the message in, in A New Hope, there's this little tiny flute turn motif. And that Michael actually uses that when he's talking about Jin's message. So these little right. tiny nods back to the original score. He also, when we first see Darth Vader on Mustafar in Rogue One, he uses the original Darth Vader theme as well right. as the the new Empire Strikes Back version. So he does all these little nods to tell you, to remind you of this whole package of what Star Wars is. And, and he's I very knowledge. I mean, he's very knowledgeable about what it is. I, I, I mean, I'll let you go on, but I, I remember initially seeing when we first see um, Bail Organa that um, that we hear the Force theme, and thinking that's it, you know that's an odd choice for him, but then realizing that that's the connection to Ben. Yeah, and the connection he had to the Jedi, perhaps. Right. Right. But yeah, it's just those those little details that Michael knows. Like he is well studied in this. He loves it just like we all do, which is what what I think made him such an amazing choice for that film. And I know he only wrote it in like two and a half weeks or something. I know he wasn't the original choice for it. No, it was um, Alexandre Desplat, I believe. Yeah, yeah. The original choice. I don't know what artistic changes happened with any of that. I know there's a whole reshoot thing and all that, so I don't know where those decisions went or where they were made, but. Whatever they were, I know that Michael only had so much time to work on it, and I really think he just knocked it out of the park. Like he, yeah, he, I mean, he and he did a nice job. That there is a Star Wars beyond John Williams, and that was a big question mark for me personally. I agree, I agree. Um, and what what I actually what I liked about it was that he did a nice amount of stuff that was very obviously Star Wars inspired, um, but then there are these great moments that are very clearly him. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I just think about uh, forgetting what it what it was called, but like the music that plays while uh, right when Jin and Cassian you know die, um, that is yeah. very uh, Michael Giacchino music, not John Williams music. Absolutely. Um, and um, it, but it what it works, it works really well. Yeah, he has this this soft piano thing he does all the time. It's this little. He does these, little, these yes. little high piano chords in these emotional scenes, and he puts it in when when Jin's Jin's finally receiving her father's message, and the world's exploding. The music's really somber and soft and gentle, and it's very, very indicative of Michael Giacchino's style, where he really pushes the emotional part of his telling instead of the visual. And I think that's something that makes him such a strong composer. Yeah, he could he he could sign on for the rest of the Star Wars movies, and I'd probably be okay with I'm it. I'm <laughs> completely on board with you, <laughs> but I'm not. Let's not let's not discount John Powell's work in Solo either. Yeah, and that was about what I was. The next question was going to be so so talk a little about his because his his for me is um, a bigger departure from John Williams than than Michael Giacchino in in my ear. I would agree um, with you. John Powell is very modern in a lot of ways. Um, very thick, very fast, very exciting, which is... Particularly, the, you, particularly with the percussion, right? I mean, oh, that's, yeah. that's the way percussion, I hear it. Unique instruments. Um, 
I've I'm a big fan of the How to Train Your Dragon um, series, which he also wrote. Okay. There's a lot of times in that. That's a very very um, very Scottish um, driven sound palette for a lot of that kind of music. Um, but there's a lot of behind the scenes clips of the guys in the studio playing it and you look at the percussion and it's like there's like six guys on the same instrument playing something crazy ridiculous and it's very modern in this in this school of of busy and exciting which is not i'm not knocking it in any way it's very cool and i i like to write that way myself so i can't i'm not going to say it's a disservice in any regard it's it is a departure though it's definitely a change of star wars direction but i think i think for a for a film like solo that needs to exist on its own really it doesn't need to fit into the bigger picture per se like a saga film does i think it works great yeah i mean it, it was it was enough that it was noticeable to me but then again i'm probably you know you're probably like me a little bit um this and this is actually a more recent phenomenon but um i one of the things i look forward to about any star wars music uh, movie is the music so I, i'm even on first viewing i'm aware of the music um, and so, you, you know, the first time I, I heard it, um, it took it, I don't say off guard is the right way of saying it, but it was noticeable mm-hmm. um, to me. But but there but there are some fantastic themes that aren't your traditional Star Wars one. I think of uh, of Emphis Nests, uh, the Marauders theme. Absolutely. Uh, I, I love that theme, but and it doesn't sound very Star Wars, but it, it, it works very well. Yeah. And that's just it's just a. It's proof of John Powell's ability to write these new and exciting sounds and find these these new techniques that no one else is using, and it's it's really quite genius. And his a lot of his other work besides solo really really expands upon that. Yeah, I mean it'll be interesting to see what kind of choices they make. Whether they try to in the future have one composer sort of anchor it like a John Williams, or whether they um, decide to kind of, you know, pick a composer here, pick a composer there. Yeah. But I think in in terms of thinking about Star Wars' future, I think every composer who even remotely approaches Star Wars, even myself, I mean, when I wrote when I wrote the theme for this podcast, I reflect upon the Force theme inside it. And you really try to, you've got to try and appreciate what John has gifted all of us. And you really work within the confines that he's set for us. You really just respect it. I don't think any composer is going to come in and just try something completely new. They're all going to take. They're all absolutely going to cherish cherish the work of John Williams, and use it to the advantage of fans and themselves. That might be a nice whole other episode where we just have you talk about the the inspiration and and almost break apart your own theme, um, because because uh, that'd be that's interesting to me. Again, as somebody who. You know, I, I I can dabble with some instruments, but I'm not would not consider myself a musician. Um, somebody who can write to your ability, um, it, it's it's uh, you know to be in the head of somebody like that is interesting to me because it's not it's not the way my head works. Well, I'd be um, happy <laughs> happy to go <laughs> off on that tangent, but that's it, as you said, <laughs> at least one whole episode in and of itself. <laughs> right in your head, it's like oh, that's old podcast in and of itself. But <laughs> trying to navigate my crazy brain. <laughs> um yeah um so if you could if you could have written yourself have been the one instead of john williams writing have written any piece of star wars music 
um, what would be the piece that you wish that it would have been your idea? Oh, man, I don't even know how to answer that. I know, I, it's, it's phrased like, in a weird thing, because I didn't want to say it like, what's your favorite thing, because that's there, but like, right. you know, as a, I want to get it, you know, everybody has their own opinion on that, you don't have to be a musician to have your opinion on, you know, what your favorite piece of music is, but, right. you know, from a musician's standpoint, you listen to that piece of music and you just go, ah, oh, that's, that, that's the stuff. Okay, I can handle that. <laughs> Is that better? Uh, yeah, that's much better. <laughs> the problem with like, wishing I wrote a piece of it is that I can't, I cannot physically remove his music from the product. Got it. You know what I mean? Like, the scenes are what they are because he's there. Just like right. I said, the music is a character. Like, I, can't, I cannot physically remove it. It just wouldn't be the same experience. And as much as I would love the opportunity to write it or something like that nature, I just I think I'm doing a disservice by removing his voice because it's so mm-hmm. powerful and unique. But talking about parts of Star Wars that I just cherish, um, I think some of the most evocative writing, you have to look at the immolation scene in episode three. Like, oh my God. that'll <laughs> tug your heart out. Like, that's John oh, Williams yeah. at his finest. It's just string orchestra. There's no other right. instruments. There's no, there's no flashy brass. There's no sparkling woodwinds. There's none of that. It's just strings. And it's just ripping your heart out as he's watching <laughs> his brother burn alive. And it's just, oh, I, I can't, I'm literally sitting here chilling, <laughs> chilling over thinking about how that scene sounds and how it plays out. And that's the and some of those of moments that aren't just direct themes, because we know the themes, right. they're so recognizable, but there's so many musical moments that aren't the themes. They're just, you know, yep. that's just beautiful pieces of music. It's just a cue right there. It happens for, I think, a minute and a half or something like that. It's just called the immolation scene, and that's it. You never hear it again. It's not from anywhere. It's not derivative of something else. It's just this emotional moment where John just, you know, he knows what his task is. He needs to tell the audience, this is the most painful thing that Obi-Wan has ever done. And he does it so splendidly by this particular track. And I think if anyone is to ask me what my favorite is, I'm not going to say that's my favorite, but I think it's, it's something you have to look at as a fan and understand how John is able to just grab you there. And juxtapose it with the visuals, which are just horrifying. Right. I mean, you could and, you could have easily gone and dark with Obi Wan's crying. <laughs> yeah. Well, not crying, but you are my brother, Anakin. Yeah. Say what you want about the dialogue. We're not going to get into any of that. <laughs> Specifically <laughs> about the music, it really charges forward that scene, and it launches us into the end, where you have this whole montage of Darth Vader becoming who he is, and and all that. But you have that. Then across the stars, of course, how it it swells into that that scene in the. Uh, in on Geonosis that we discussed briefly earlier. That's one to look at, and you can't shirk at that. But there's so many. I mean, I can go on and on about cues I love. I, I, don't, think I, I don't think there's any cue I don't like. Yeah, i say there's some that I like better than others, but, sure. I mean, it. you know, and I don't... I, well, okay, here's another question. So, I'm sure you listen to the music. Um, what is sort of the the mode, aside from watching the movies, obviously, but if you're just going to listen to the music, do you want to just put it on and just focus on it? Do you do you put it on while you're working? Do you, I don't, I don't say maybe working on music, but if you're like, you know, working on a build, let's say, um, you know, when do you tend to listen to the music? Some people might be surprised to find out that I 
actually work in silence a lot. <laughs> um, only because I don't. I find that when I listen to music, I listen to it as very critically. I listen to it okay. as I, I learn to study music, and I sit there and I analyze and I try to figure out what they're doing and when and why and how. So a lot of the times when I build and and do other projects around the house, I don't listen to anything. I just I have a soundtrack playing in my head about something that I'm thinking about or something else. But in terms of turning things on, I don't really do it that much. However, Star Wars is kind of the exception here. Because I have a master playlist of all, all nine soundtracks, plus some of the extended TV stuff and things that I brought in there. And I just play that on shuffle. And because I know Star Wars so well, I don't have to sit here and analyze it. I can actually just enjoy it. Because I've heard it so many times, I know what it's like. So Star Wars actually, for me, is the musical release. It's kind of my little guilty pleasure, as I don't have to think about it so much, because I've already thought about it so much in the past. But I actually listen to mostly cinematic music from either video games or, or television shows or movies, just because I feel like that it's designed to to underlay a story. So when it's literally underlaying my life, I actually reflect upon that kind of style. I'll listen to <laughs> rock and pop and all that stuff as well, but I find myself I find myself analyzing and listening and hearing the lyrical content and how it works with the music. And I feel myself analyzing and getting super music music nerdy too much when I think when I hear when I listen to music that I'm not quite as familiar with as Star Wars, which is quite interesting to me. Yeah. Well, it's funny having a you know having we had an episode where we discussed my you know my daughter getting exposed to um, Star Wars for the first time and everything. But one of the things that she's always taken to is the music. She It's one of the few th- few pieces of music that we can put on and agree that at the same time that we would want to listen to it. But she also gets the um, gets sort of the cinematic nature of it. And she's always wanting to know, especially when she was first learning the movies, what part is this? What part is this, Dad? When does this music come? Um, and then um, it almost became, it's a, well, actually it did become, for long car rides, sort of a game. Which episode is this, Rome? You know, <laughs> like, you know, can you, can, you t- can you tell me which one this one is? Um, because if you don't, it, you know, the better you know the soundtracks, you know, you'll hear the same theme, but there, you know, I think about the Force theme, there are a million different variations. Mm-hmm. You can all, you can, for the most part, I mean, some of it, it has to do with other things, but just from the way that it's orchestrated, you can tell uh, what film it's from, even though it's almost the same notes. Absolutely. Each time. Funny story on that, actually. I got yelled at a trivia. I got yelled at at a trivia once because there was a category where you had to, you had to, it was Star Wars trivia, and you had to label, label the section based on the musical cue. And I would put okay. my hand up so fast, they actually got mad at me. They're like, you have to stop. Because <laughs> <laughs> I recognize it so fast. Because this, you know, this is nothing for me. <laughs> it was, right. It was yeah. quite funny. It was embarrassing it's at the a, time, but it was funny in hindsight. <laughs> if you have enough Star Wars nerds around there just going, uh, I'm most, uh, I, well, I'm similar. I'm probably, no, you know, I don't think I could do it to your level, but. Oh, um, I don't know. But, I'm probably good. <laughs> uh, maybe. It's, you know, it's it's different. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm the same way. Like, I, I I think um, with the way that my brain works and, and my imagination that I can put on the music um, and while there's no visual going along with it, the visuals are partially running in my head too. Um, and uh, and so it's sort of like another way to experience the movie itself because it's done so well that you know you, like you said, you know instantaneously 
what's going on um, from hearing the music. Oh, yeah. And part of that is because I've watched the movies 200,000 times. But <laughs> Of course. But, uh, but there's, there's another, uh, there's, you know, something more to it. Yeah, but I would uh, almost I th- consider, listen, if you listen to the soundtrack from top to bottom for any of these films, you just watch the movie, as far as I'm concerned. You yeah. can you can put the movie right there with it, and it's 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 really neat how that works. Especially like when I when I watched all these new sequel movies, I'd go to the theater, I'd watch it on release night, and then at midnight after the Thursday release at midnight, the soundtrack comes out on iTunes because it's Friday. Oh, right. So I would first you know whatever time it was one twelve or one in the morning, I would sit down and listen top to bottom, just go through the soundtrack. What cues did they pick? What did they choose to put on the soundtrack? And I'd find myself reliving the movie. I just saw it. I only saw it once. And I would be able to recount the whole film just because the soundtrack was out now. Uh, well, we're, we're almost out of time, but I, want, I actually had a question sort of related to that that I, that I wanted to ask you because, um, you know, and I don't live in the world of social media all that much, but I do know that the soundtrack for Rise of Skywalker um, got some uh, ne- negative whatever i mean everything and everything gets negative stuff but um what the only reason why i bring that up is not because people were saying it was negative but what i noticed was that soundtrack more than any others of the actual you know release soundtrack seemed to be missing quite a bit of the music from the movie that i remember when i was watching it i don't know if you had the same experience but like there's quite a few cues that I was surprised and disappointed didn't make it onto the soundtrack album. Yeah, that happens a lot, unfortunately. We'll have to wait for the extended releases and all that. I mean, as I, as we talked about earlier in the episode, I was referring to the special edition release a lot of right. the original tra- soundtracks, which, was, of course, wasn't originally released. I have a copy of the original vinyl that, was, that came out, and that has like six tracks on it. It's not even a quarter of the film's music. So it and, took a long and the time tracks are very and the tracks are very different. I mean, it, that one there I know has like if you hear the opening main theme, it goes straight into the end credits. Right, right. I think that's the, what we know as the sweet version, the one we play in concerts. Right, but I also noticed this and very very quickly when the Force Awakens soundtrack, when I I saw the movie and then I just started listening to the soundtrack over and over again, and then the next time I saw the movie the opening piece is not the same. Mm-hmm. It's very similar, but it's not the same. Um, and it will, and I, you know, I don't have any insight into why that choice was made. Um, but I just found it was interesting that for the, uh, for even those pieces that are, you know, almost supposed to be straight from the film themselves, not those the suites that they had in there. Like they have race theme, which doesn't appear like that in the movie itself. Right. Um, but they had those those pieces that uh, a lot of those tracks were just slightly different, very close, but slightly different. Yeah, um, and it all comes down to recording. Um, sometimes they'll do a, a recording before they do the sessions of a suite version that they want to publish later, or you know. A lot of times a composer will come up with an idea where, you know, we're workshopping this, this movie and you'll, John, John Williams or anybody will, will say, oh, you've got this character, Ray, here's your story. Okay, here's Ray's theme. This is what I'm thinking about, Ray's theme here. He sends it to the director. And this is long before the score is even written. This is just, these are just pieces of the score that are to come. 
And they might use that opportunity to go back and forth, make some decisions. But sometimes you might come up with the full version of Ray's theme, like the one you hear on the soundtrack. That's not in the movie. But that was actually a demo or to be released on a suite or something. But it's part of the process in a different place than actually recording the score. So it might be a lot different than you hear it in any other place. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for thanks for all your insight. Um, the, the time uh, on this episode went quickly. Um, it did. Oh, my gosh. It did. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like I could spend several hours talking music with you um, because I love it, and you can tell that, that, um, that it's, it's uh, important to you. Um, and uh, maybe we will have to uh, revisit this again sometime because... Uh, I mean, yeah. I think we could spend an eternity talking about. It. I could listen to Taylor talk about music for <laughs> a few more hours. I tried not to get technical, <laughs> so I hope, I'm sorry. I hope I didn't get any too technical for anyone. <laughs> See, I wouldn't mind. I, I don't mind that. And like I said, I'm not a musician. I just, know, but I know enough to like. If 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 you explain it well enough, even if you're not technical enough, I I find it fascinating just to learn all the little bits. I mean, I've listened to a few to. different places that kind of talk about it in 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 technical terms, and it's. Just it gives you greater appreciation for it in my eyes when you know even if I don't understand every little thing that you would say about it. Well, I have the bonus of being a music theory teacher on the side, and I've taught theory for a long time, so I I, (laughs) I think I would do a decent job of hopefully explaining it to everyone about what I'm talking about, considering that I've done that. I mean, I I thought it was pretty comprehensible. I mean, I don't know, I don't know, Jack, but um, (laughs) I mean, I think you explained it very well, and it's it's interesting because you learn new things. I mean, I definitely learned a lot tonight yeah yeah i mean yeah it's uh it's a and it's just one small aspect of the of the of the film but you know we could spend countless hours talking about it but uh, i'm i'm grateful to you taylor for a number of different things one um for the music that you that you gave to the podcast um to use uh it's uh it's awesome um, I, you know, I'm so, uh, grateful that, that we have, uh, the music that makes us sound like we're, um, probably a better podcast than we are when we start it, but, you um, me too much credit. <laughs> it makes it sound so legit. <laughs> right. Um, you know, yeah, it makes us, there you go. Legit is the right word. Um, but, uh, but anyways, um, if anybody wanted to get uh, in touch to ask you a Star Wars musical question, do you have a good place for them to contact you? Sure. You could find me all over the web, different places. Um, Taylor A. Goodson is my artist page on Facebook, so you can find me there. Um, you can go to soundcloud.com slash Taylor hyphen Arthur hyphen Goodson, which is my SoundCloud page. Or you can find me, Taylor Goodson, at YouTube. I got lots of videos on there, too. Yeah, it's worth a, it's worth checking out the music on there. Um, you know, some has some definite um, Star Wars inspiration, but others don't. But it's a lot of really, really, really nice music. Thank um, you. Well worth well worth a, a listen if you if any of you guys have a chance. Yeah, and going um, back to our way earlier conversation, if you want to check out Taylor Made Armorers on Facebook. We are there as well. If you want to talk more about costumes <laughs> and building and all that sort of thing, we might, yeah, we might. Have, that's a whole other episode that we should get into at some point too, because um, we could have twice just as long a conversation about all the stuff to go on with that. But uh, it was a, it was a pleasure talking with you. Um, thanks for uh, donating your time to uh, to chat with us. My pleasure. Yeah, Thank you so for much having for me. coming on. Of course, anytime. Hopefully, we can do it again. Yeah. Yay.
All right, until uh, until the uh, next episode, um, if you need to get us for any reason, I mean, really, you know, um, if you have any questions about this episode, you probably should direct it to Taylor, but any questions for us, you can email us at thewillspodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram and Twitter at thewillspod. Thanks for listening.